Hey guys, welcome. Uh, my name's Tim, if you didn't catch that from Anthony's great introduction. And I have the privilege today to continue our series on Exodus. So if you guys have been following along, uh, the Israelites have left captivity in Egypt. They've been wandering around the desert for a little bit. Um, and God has started to give them rules to live by. Okay, So uh, I'm actually going to start reading from Leviticus today. Uh, Leviticus is a book that was written um, for the Levites, which were the priests of the nation, to spread to the rest of the nation so that they would have rules to live by. So that's why it's called Leviticus. So Leviticus chapter 11, clean and unclean animals. This is 11 verse 1. It says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, These are the living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on earth. Whatever parts the hoof and is cloven-footed and chews the cud, among the animals you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, it is unclean to you. The rock badger, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. The hare, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. And the pig, because it parts the hoof and is cloven-footed but does not chew the cud, is unclean to you. You shall not eat any of their flesh. You shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. Let me pray real quick. God, thank you for this verse. Thank you for the people that are here. Uh, I pray that you would speak, and I pray that we know this is your word, so let it ring true in your name. Amen. You guys know what you're supposed to eat now and what you're not supposed to eat. I'm trying to get this to be a tablet. Clean and unclean animals. What a fun topic. I'm having a hard time with this as I've been studying the last couple weeks. Um, because like I said, it doesn't feel like it's super applicable to us, right? I'm not going to try to eat an eagle. I'm going to eat a hamburger, right? I'm not going to hunt down a rabbit and eat it. I have done that. It didn't taste very good. So probably wouldn't do it again. Right, I probably would eat goat if it was put ahead of me, but even that, like, it's not on my list of things that I want to eat, so why is this applicable? There's names of the animals in this uh, text that don't live around here. There's names of the animals that aren't even, like, people still don't know what they are. If you go back to the original translation, we're like, that might be this, but that might be this, so how does it apply? There's big words in this. Who here knows what cloven hoof means? Is that something you talk about on your daily basis? No? That's okay. Big words, kind of boring. Why do we need to know this? I had a friend come up to me, and I was like, hey, I'm preaching this Sunday. And he was like, what are you preaching on? I was like, you're not going to believe this, but clean and unclean animals. And I started to read it to him, and he goes, why do we need to know that? And this is a good Christian friend of mine. And I started to do the biggest shrug, like, I don't know. But like halfway through it, he, he said this. He said, why would we ever need to know and preach about the boring parts of the Bible? And it got to me. You see, I'm small-minded. I like things fast. I like things easy. I like to get to the point quickly. But God, 
God is infinite. God is big-minded. And he gave us this book for a reason. And it's our job, especially the teachers that are among us, to dive in deep, to figure out the why, and then to share those reasons. One of the reasons I've been enjoying the series that we've been in uh, is because we're forced to do just that, right? We are not skipping over the hard parts. We are diving in deep. And here at Free Church, we really hold that to a high standard. We want to do that. We want you guys to know your Bible because we believe this is God's word. And we also believe that we would be fools not to listen when God speaks. So when God talks about animals that are clean and unclean, we need to know why. Even if, as a modern-day Christian, it doesn't apply when you look at it from a quick view. So we need to study our Bible. One thing that's, ha- one thing that's helpful when you are studying your Bible is to ask a couple of questions. The first question is who. Who is this written to? This chapter, this book, Leviticus, I already said, was written to the Levites in a tribe called Israel, right? The Levites were the priests of the the nation, and they would read this section of the Bible to the people that were in the nation, and then the laws would go out and the nation would abide, right? It's written to the Levites. These people would know and they would instruct the Hebrews in holy living. And then you need to ask yourself, what? What is this passage about? This book is an instruction for how the Hebrews should be living. The priests would would read it. The people would do it. And this passage specifically talks about animals that are good for eating. Where? If you've been following this series, the Hebrew people are currently in the desert. They have not made it to the promised land of Israel. They are nomads. And this is important when we read a list like this because it gives, because we have to realize that the Hebrews don't have access to every kind of animal that are there, right? They are bringing herds of animals with them wherever they go. But then they'd also see wild animals as they're walking and say, maybe I could eat that. They're nomads. They walk around. When? The book was written to the Hebrew people. They had left Egypt, but before they got to the promised land of Israel. This is roughly uh, 1,450 years before Christ in the New Testament. Okay, this puts it at almost 3,500 years from now. The big question is why? Why is this relevant to me? Why is this relevant to you? Christians who have been removed from this situation by 3,000 years, why our lives in Salem, Oregon, could not be more different than the people that are nomadic living in a peninsula near Egypt? Why is it important? As I've been studying this passage and reading commentaries about it, I've come up with three main points that God makes during this passage. And not all will be directly applicable to you, but I'm hoping that you can take away something from this. It's my hope that we can dive into the words and the intention behind the words. And we can challenge ourselves to be better Christians through this weird, boring passage. 
If you are taking notes, which I honestly recommend that you do, especially when we talk about boring stuff that you don't think applies, take notes because you're going to forget it anyway, but you're going to want to come back and check it. Okay, so if you have a phone to take notes on, if you have a journal to take notes on, here's point number one, and it should be up on the board. By board, I mean screen. God cares about your health. Verse 11 says, or verse 1 says, this is chapter 11 still. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying to them, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, The living things that you may eat among the animals that are on the earth. Whoever parts the hoof and is cloven footed and chews the cud among the animals you may eat. Nevertheless, among those that chew the cud or part the hoof, you shall not eat these. The camel, because it chews the cud but does not part the hoof, is unclean to you. Some of these terms might be unfamiliar to you, especially if you're young and you've never been on a farm or around animals like this. Parts the hoof, cloven-footed. This is referring to the feet of the animal. Cows have two big toes on their feet, and their feet are cloven or covered by keratin. Okay, keratin is the same material that our fingernails and our hair are made out of. It protects their feet, so they have two big, what we call, hoofs. So when it says parts the hoof, it means two, and when it says cloven-footed, it means covered in an actual hoof material. So animals like the uh, camel have a parted, hoof, a parted foot, but they only have a nail on the end of it. It's not completely covered by this keratin hard material. It protects their feet. And God is saying to the Hebrew people that they can eat these animals that have two hoofs that are completely covered in this nail-like substance. That means cows, that means sheep, that means goats. But why? Seems arbitrary. Part of that feeling that I don't get it, that why, why does this matter, this seems silly, it's a culture thing. Remember, this was written to nomads over 3,000 years ago. They had herds of animals, and they would have been very afraid of these animals getting sick, okay? If one of these animals catches a disease, that means the whole herd could catch it. That means the entire nation of Israel could get sick because one animal was carrying a disease. This would have been on the top of their minds. I need to be worried about this. So God gave them a list of animals that honestly it would be easy to tell if they were sick. What if one of them got rabies? They'd all get it. What if one got ringworm? What if one had E. coli? One animal could wipe out the entire nation of Israel. Did you know it's easier to tell on an animal with a cloven hoof than a regular foot if it's sick? There's discoloration that happens around the hoof. They start to smell. There's a pus. This is a gross topic. I know that. Sorry. But you need to know. It's quicker to distinguish a cow or a sheep that is sick, especially one that's in a herd, because they start acting funny. They start limping. Not only... Is it easy to tell that these animals are safe to eat, but it would be quick to tell if they were unsafe to eat. Okay, if your sheep gets sick, you would know it, and you could pull it out of the herd so that the rest don't get it. 
and then your herd would still be healthy, and then your people would still be healthy, and then Israel could still be a chosen people of God. He also says that they must chew the cud, right? Because pigs have a cloven foot, but we can't eat pigs. Cud is kind of gross in nature. Anybody know what it is? Just raise your hand. You don't have to shout it out. No? couple? Yeah, down here. Perfect. It's gross. If humans started chewing the cud all of a sudden, like God flipped a switch and all of a sudden we had to chew cud, uh, dinner parties would stop. We would no longer hang out and eat at the same place. It would become a very private thing, I feel like. What chewing the cud is, or what happens is cows specifically don't have the enzymes in their stomachs to break down grass material. Instead, they have billions of microbes there that can kind of break down material, and they can half digest the, the, the grass that they eat. So a cow will chew it, he will swallow it, the enzymes will break it down a little bit, and then the cow barfs it back up. This is the gross part. Okay, it barfs it into its mouth, just a little... And then he chews it again, and then he swallows it again, and then he does it again, and he does it again, and he does it again. And meanwhile, the enzymes in his stomach are breaking it down so that he can get more vitamins, more minerals, more proteins out of it, and become bigger and stronger, which is great. That's great. <laughs> chew, swallow, barf a little. <laughs> chew, swallow, etc. Are we grossed out yet? Yeah, we are. <laughs> uh, scientists have also discovered that one of the main reasons that cows and sheep and goats chew cud is because it helps them break down toxins that are in plants that humans cannot digest. Okay? While they are roaming through the desert, there are plants there that are toxic to humans. And if an animal eats it and then we eat the animal, some of those toxins can be passed to us and we can get very sick. But because these animals chew a cud, the enzymes or the microbes that are in their stomach break down those toxins so that they won't be passed to humans. So God says, pick ones that have a cloven hoof so you can tell if they're sick. And pick some that um, chew the cud so that you're not going to get sick by eating them. God cares about our health. Pigs, while they have the right foot pattern, do not chew a cud because that we should not eat them. These people should not eat them. I eat them, for being honest. We like bacon. But God cares about your health. He wanted his nation to thrive. He wanted the Israelites to be a chosen people that was set apart, that wouldn't get sick from eating stuff. So he drew a line in the sand. And it was a line that these people would have easily recognized and said, I can eat that. I can't eat that. Look at their feet. Look how they chew. If both align, you can eat it. Easy to understand. This whole entire chapter is just list upon list of animals you can eat, birds you can eat, fish you can eat, fish you can't eat. So how does it apply to me? If God cares about the health of his nation, then guys, he cares about your health too. And 
and why we may not be held to the same strict protocol that the Israelites were held to. We should still be careful about what we put into our bodies. And I'm the worst of us. I literally ate Taco Bell like three times last week. Right? That would probably be on the unclean list. It's beef product. The product is what makes it unclean. So be aware of that. If you are taking notes and you've been thinking, I need to start eating healthier, you do. It's biblical. Eat healthier. Exercise more. Right? I'm not just going to, like, uh, make you make a list of everything you're eating and then try to cut out 10,000 calories from your week or anything like that. But maybe you don't need the extra serving of bacon. <laughs> I know I don't. And then we got point two. So if you're taking notes, this is point two. We are meant to be set apart or holy. These nomads had this set of rules in place so that they would stay healthy, so that they would thrive. But part of the reason God gives them these rules is so that it would set them apart from the surrounding culture. People of the times, of these times, would eat anything that they could get their hands on. Does that sound familiar? I mean, I literally just said I ate Taco Bell like three times a week. Because it's easy. And it tastes good. Kind of. But the people they would have interacted would have, with would have been eating pig. And they would have been getting sick. And they would have been eating oysters and clams. And they didn't know how to cook them properly. And some of them would have gotten sick. And they would have gotten mercury poison. And they would have gotten this and this. And God says, yes, I want you to be healthy. But I also want you to set up the barrier between you and the culture that you are near to say, I'm different. I'm going to stand apart from how you guys are acting. Part of what makes that barrier easy is having dietary restrictions. We all know how strong peer pressure can be. And while some of you may have matured past the point of being peer pressured, anybody? Liars, you are. <laughs> Um, we all know the hold that it can have on our lives, right? I work mostly with young people, and as soon as the group starts to do something, everyone's doing it, even if it's not something they're supposed to be doing, especially if it's not something they're supposed to be doing. If it looks kind of fun, they will all do it. God does not want his people to worship any other gods, Right? God gave them this list of things that they should do and should not do. No, have no other gods before me. Make no other idols. Uh, do not lie. Do not steal. Do not, you know, the rest of them. But in order to make it easier for them to follow these, and in order to make it easier for them not to stray to other gods and worship other gods, he says, you know what? Follow these dietary restrictions. And that will set up a natural barrier between you and someone that does not. Between you and someone that worships another God. Put it this way. If you're a Christian and you decide to, ma to marry someone who is of the Hindu religion, you're probably going to be exposed to that religion a lot. So don't do it. Don't marry them. 
Don't allow them to become your peer that you might be peer pressured into worshiping their gods. The Hindu people actually show the better example of this than Christians. You see, Hindu people don't eat beef. They don't eat cows. They hold them sacred, right? If you were to kill a cow or hurt a cow or eat a cow, that would be like hurting a god to them. So they don't do it. And because of that, they don't hang out with people that do, right? They definitely would not date someone that eats hamburgers on a regular basis. They set up that barrier and said, I cannot hang out with you. I cannot... Uh, date you. I cannot become into a relationship with you because what you do honestly disgusts me. It would be disgusting. It would be wrong. This is the type of culture that the Israelites started to make. God told them not to eat pig, so they don't. And it becomes gross to them to see someone eating pig. So they stop hanging out with those people. They stop doing business with those people. They stop marrying those kind of people. And because of that, they stop being introduced to gods that are not the God that they originally worship, the one true God. They set themselves apart simply by not eating with them. And they begin to become holy like their God is holy, in part because of dietary restrictions. The New Testament gives Peter this vision. This is in Acts 10. It says, The next day... As they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop on the sixth hour to pray, and he became very hungry and wanted something to eat. Brother, I've been there. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance, and he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him. It said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, because he's disgusted, said, by no means, God. I've never eaten anything that is uncommon or unclean. And the voice came over, came again a second time and said, what God has made clean, do not call common. And this happened three times. And then the thing was taken up into heaven. See, we believe that God was telling Peter that it's okay to begin to eat some of these unclean animals. We also believe that God was telling Peter that it's okay to start sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to people that don't follow the restrictions of the law. That would be you and me. It's okay to spread the good news of Christ to people that are outside of his culture. No longer do they need to set up that barrier and say, I am different from you. You cannot worship my God. But instead, take and eat. The food restrictions no longer apply. And they are not what make us holy. Instead, Matthew 15 says this. And this is Jesus talking. He says, And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into your mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of your mouth that defiles a person. So God cares about your holiness. He wants us to be set apart. He wanted his nation to be set apart. But Jesus makes it clear that we should not be concerned about We should be more concerned about what is coming out of us than what we are eating. We need to watch the things that we are saying. 
We need to share the gospel and not just blend into the society that we are in. What comes out of us, though, can only be what goes into us. This is important to realize. You have to ask yourself, what are you putting into your body? And I'm not talking about animals that chew the cud and don't chew the cud. But what do you spend your time doing? What are you watching on TV? Who do you gossip about? What do you look at on your phone when no one is around? How do you spend your money? Can we really face God someday and say, yes, I was set apart. I was holy from the people that I was living in nearby. The things that came out of my mouth were uplifting, and they pointed people to Christ. As a Christian, I need to start putting dietary restrictions on the things that I allow to enter my brain. I need to be careful about who I hang out with, especially if they're leading me to worship something that is not my God. God cares about your holiness. God wants you to be set apart. And while not eating pigs worked for the Israelites, kind of, we need to examine our own lives and we need to see what we need to abstain from. The Bible makes it pretty clear that it's not going to be the same for everybody. And that we shouldn't judge each other based on what we need to abstain from. But instead, if one of your friends needs to abstain from something, you need to help them out. You need to also abstain from it in some cases. right? If you have an alcoholic brother... Don't drink near him. It's that simple. Don't call him out. Don't make him feel bad for it. Help him get out of it. 1 Corinthians 23. That's not the chapter. That's the verse. But I didn't write the chapter. 10, 23. Boom. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful. But not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but instead seek the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold at the meat market without raising a question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are deposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising the question on the grounds of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you, for the sake of the conscience, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? I partake with thankfulness. Why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? And then focus on this one. It says, so wherever... Whether you eat or drink and whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or Greeks. Give no offense to the people in your house, the people on the street, the people that practice other religions. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. 
God cares about holiness, and he cares about what you are putting into your body, not necessarily what you're eating. What are you spending your time doing that you should not be doing? And here's point three. Sin is all around us. This is something we all know. And if you're a Christian, you know about sin. You've been set, set free from it. You've been given life by Jesus through the sacrifice that he made. But you also struggle with it. If we dive further into chapter 11 of Leviticus, we would read name after name of animals that are unclean. And we would learn why they are unclean. And if we remember that this book was written to a nomadic tribe, then we can start to picture what this chapter would have made them think as they were recalling it to their brains. My wife and I bought a car a few years ago, and while I was looking at tons of cars online, uh, and I finally picked one that I thought was good, I started to see that car everywhere. Does anyone have this experience? Right? You start thinking you want a red car, and you start seeing red cars everywhere. Okay. I have a trouble with cars because I am 6'5", and most cars, my head literally touches the ceiling. And newer cars especially do not lower the seat far enough for me to get a good view. It is unsafe for me to drive a lot of cars. So I have about three that I, I could shop for, I could buy, I could get. And as I started looking at prices, I started seeing them everywhere, right? I started seeing the... Ford Escape everywhere, and I started seeing the Mazda CX-5 everywhere, and I started seeing the Forester everywhere. There's like three in our parking lot right now. As these people would have been memorizing this passage and learning what they can and cannot eat, they would have started to see these animals everywhere. Walking in the desert, they would have seen camels, and they would have known that they were unclean. And then they would have thought, while the, cham- the camel chews the cud, it does not have a cloven hoof. While the sin that I am struggling with might look good on top, down below is what makes it unclean. And I need to stay away from it. Walking near an outcrop of rocks, they would have seen a rock badger and known that it was unclean. And then they would see that some sin, like the rock badger, is strong and it is crafty and it burrows into the rock and is hard to get out. Then they would have gone to a mountaintop and they would have seen an eagle flying high. And they would have known that it was unclean. And then they would have thought, it is prideful. It sees itself above everybody else. And that is unclean. That's what I need to stay away from. Just like when you shop for a car, you start to see that car everywhere. God's message would have popped up everywhere for these people. And as we read the Bible and we learn God's voice, his message will start to show its face everywhere to us too. Sin is everywhere. And we need to be aware of it so that we can stay away from it. You know, maybe it won't look like you see a puppy and you start to think, I need to not sin because puppies are just great. But maybe it's a channel on your TV you need to stay away from. Maybe it's a store where you spend too much money that you need to stay away from. Maybe it's Pinterest or Facebook or Snapchat. God calls us to be holy. And then he sets up reminders everywhere to remind us to be so. We need to fill our hearts with his word so that when things do come out of our mouth, 
they can be clean and holy. Can we start taking this seriously? What really needs to be cut out of your life? The world is full of sin. And we are called to be in this world, but not of this world. Right? These people were called to be in this world, and they were allowed to eat some things, but they could not eat everything. And as Christians, that's the same for us. We're here. We can participate. But if something's going to lead us down a bad path or something's going to lead one of our friends down a bad path, we need to stay away from it because God cares. Will you guys stand with me? I'm going to pray, and then we'll go right into worship. The world we live in is full of sin, and we're called to be in the world but not of the world. That means we can interact with people in this world and the things of this world in a way that keeps us separate. Not separate like a wall we put up and we don't let them in, but separate like abstaining from sinful things. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's judging people that are different than you. We should be living in such a way that people will want what we have. So ask yourself, how can you change in one small way that will make you more like Christ? God, you are good. Thank you for giving us this book of instructions. I pray that as we, as we study in our own time, we won't become legalistic and we won't just do it to fulfill the letter of the law, but that we will seek you in all things. We want to be set apart from this world. We want to be holy like you are holy. And we ask for your guidance this week as we look at ourselves and we try to distinguish between the things you have made for us and the things that you want us to stay away from. In your name, amen.